Welcome to the Digitally Native podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be digital and to live digital lives. I'm your host, Fungai, and together we will explore a range of topics and trends around digital and social media and digital innovation. So grab a drink, buckle up, and let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. Uh, Today's podcast is a recording of a panel discussion that happened earlier this month at the Internet Governance Forum. Now, just to give you a little bit of perspective about what the Internet Governance Forum is, this is a forum that serves to bring people together from various stakeholder groups to discuss policy issues relating to the Internet Um, And at the annual meeting, this happens every year, delegates discuss, exchange information and share good practices with each other. Um, So the the mandate of the Internet Governance Forum is to facilitate a common understanding of how to maximize Internet opportunities and address risks and challenges that may arise. Now, we had a panel that we organized very interesting panel that we organized, which was to discuss African social media futures. Um, We wanted to bring um, the perspective of African users to this internet, this global internet space to discuss some of the challenges which you will have noted that I discussed quite uh, a lot on this podcast around where African voices are when we talk about the future of social media and digital media in general. Um, if there is going to be this max, mass exodus of Western users and it is Africans that stay on board, why is there no conversation around the needs and the perspectives of African users? So really great uh, to have this panel um, in this global forum um, and to really bring that conversation to a global stage. Uh, my collaborators on this are Juliet Nanfuka. Um, who works at the moment with Cepesa, uh, which is based in Uganda. And um, also we have uh, Tigist Shewarega, who works with APC. She's based in South Africa. So we traveled all the way to Japan to have this conversation um, with other African users and global users as well. Um, so I really hope that you do enjoy this. Um, it was a very thought-provoking panel, and we had a great audience input and a last time was short for more interaction there were more questions and there were more thoughts to be shared however time was short so this is just a snippet um, of an ongoing conversation and please do reach out if you would like to add your two cents as usual the the inter- the email address is info at digitallynativepodcast.com um, and you can share your own thoughts or your perspectives about this panel, or you can find uh, the podcast on Twitter at Native Podcast, and you can uh, share your thoughts there as well. All right, let's just get right into it, and let's have a listen to Tigis, Juliet, and myself talking through African digital and social media features. Enjoy. Um, perceptions around the internet that we are all able to take positions of virtue signaling, of political standpoints. Um, when many of us can't. Many of us are just finding our voices in, in, in online spaces. Many of us are still locked out <laughs> of some of these spaces where virtual signaling or being absent from the spaces is a, is a form of virtual signaling or, or political commentary or, or whatever. 
Um, but it's concerning that that narrative remains uh, hidden, it remains unconsidered, it remains something that is the other. And um, that is present in how we are thinking about the greater internet. Um, it's present in how we're thinking about the tools that we access the internet with. <clears throat> Recently, we saw Apple uh, shift to shift back to USB. What's it? USB three ports, yep. C ports, um, mm -hmm. because the European Commission instructed them to. We've been dying for that in many parts of the continent because the cost of buying all these extras is very present. Um, the cost of buying a new phone as opposed to replacing a battery is very present, but um, those are considerations that have never been considered because they're coming from the global south. Mm -hmm. um, when the instruction came from the European Union, in a heartbeat, we're seeing all these um, uh, developers, rather tech, tech uh, developers, switch. Um, but the same applies to the tools of communication, um, the spaces of communication, the apps that we're utilizing, the same goes in that space where it's an issue concerning the global south. You're not seeing much action or reaction. Um, only up until the interests of a different part of the world um, need to be placed at the forefront do we see um, such actions change. But it was interesting that even though there was an exodus from Twitter into spaces like Mastodon, they didn't survive there. Mm. And it's probably because not all of us <laughs> were in those spaces. Um, but again, I say it's concerning that that narrative has, remain, has remained unspoken. Mm. Um, and it's, it's concerning that it remains a space that is not easy to measure as well, not easy to document, yeah. um, which again uh, is problematic for us to help narrate that story, to document it better. Because it remains in spaces like this, with such a broad audience, it's reflective of the interest in having mm -hmm. such discussions, mm -hmm. um, to in the interest in thinking about the realities, the shady underbelly of this internet governance space mm -hmm. and the people in it. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yeah, so uh, I'll pass. But I'm happy to hear reflections from the floor. I think we're we're yeah. a wonderful group in here with shared yeah. interests. So please do feel free to to jump in. Thanks. Yep. Thank you. Over to you, Tigist. Hi. Um, yeah, my name is Tigist, I'm from ABC. Um, yeah. So I think um, for me, when um, oh, I'm going to start from my own personal experience, so um, I, I did not know how to name the um, laid backness of myself when people are outraged on WhatsApp or Twitter. Like, I keep saying, but you do this research, you do know. Why are you not? enraged as the rest of the world why are you just lurking and listening and not making any decision like I I had that talk until I kind of named it after we had a conversation about because we don't have any other alternatives and so you know what your reality is whether it's This way, sorry. <laughs> this, way. <laughs> this way or that way, it does not matter because at the end of the day, I'm going to be here. So somehow it's a, it starts with some defeat in terms of knowing like you're not having an alternative. And so we, that conversation actually kind of named my laid backness and not being so enraged by the 
phenomenon that we've seen. I know that it's not right. And I know that this is right, but this is not right. But at the same time, it will almost feel like it might not be my conversation to be part in. Um, and then and after the conversation, I started reflecting about it. And I thought one of the things that, I, that comes immediately to my mind was that actually that is where we build movements. And in many ways, my research looks into feminist digital movement building and digital spaces. And I think Facebook and um, Twitter Instagram, TikTok, and other places have been um, an immeasurable value instrument for African feminists and, and doing so many amazing works in that space because we don't have public sphere accessible for women and gender diverse people. So our counter space is the digital space and we go there. Hence, uh, we depend on that. In fact, in the other session where we were, I was listening to your colleague, I forgot her name about election and people, and she said, for many of the African people, internet is social media. social media. And actually it hits me, it's actually true. Mm -hmm. That's where we are, like we mm -hmm. don't have any other platforms that we, um, and I have witnessed this recently with the Ethiopian war, how even the government was using the Twitter and Facebook mm -hmm. for major announcements. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of understand like the magnitude of how dependent we are. At the national security level, we still use mm -hmm. social media. And so in that sense, then it becomes much more difficult to have the luxury of, you know, I'm disappointed by this personality and I'm going to, it doesn't work that way. Mm. So that's a huge realization for me. Um, but then hidden to that is the idea of content production. So if you look at many of the movement that has happened in the African continent, which starts from Arab Spring, yeah. There is a magnitude of movement that we have seen. And actually, Arab Spring is the place where we started thinking, oh, social media can be for political activism too. Mm -hmm. That's where we know, even though we don't name it. It's in Egypt, in Tunisia, which is Africa. But still, <laughs> it's conflict. But still, it started there. And then you can pick up on a movement in Nigeria, movements in South Africa, movements in Ethiopia, movements in many places where you see people use hashtag and actually do amazing things and and that's content production mm. that's traffic generation mm. that is actually money and so the question we were asking like why is it that africans are not seen as consumers mm. and as um yeah creators so let me stop here but i've been thinking about this since after that conversation mm. thank you for that mm. both of you thank you so much and I think the thing that you've brought up that's quite prominent is how social media is so important for, you know, these social um, organizings, movement building, you know, feminists who can't find any other alternative spaces and then, you know, using these platforms. Then you've brought up, you know, the bigger policy things around um, how, you know, when something isn't working, you know, hardware-wise or, you know, whatever else, um, technology-wise, it's only when people in the West, you know, make the noise that these companies actually, you know, get about doing something. So how then, you know, and I mean, I don't think we have the answers, we're still asking the questions <laughs> ourselves, but how then do we marry this kind of dependency, as you said, on these social media platforms and then this powerlessness to actually influence them, given, you know, there's a lot of information coming through that, you know, uh, Gen Z as the new um, generation of users, they're not on Facebook the way that millennials and generations below them are. 
and yet you see that a lot of the use continuing on, on these platforms is going to be from the global south because we have very communal cultures, you know, like again, going back to the conversation about granny, like if you've taught granny how to use Facebook, listen, you're not going to try and get it to be on, I don't know, TikTok or anything. So you're just going to stay there from that social um, aspect of, you know, your need to communicate with your community. But we're not in any way, like the conversation about anything to do with these companies is not looking at this very real reality that, you know, you might end up once all the Western communities migrate to whatever else or just decide, hey, you know what, we're done with social media, you're going to end up with a large bulk of users who are not represented in any way. So what, what can we actually, and I will open it up very soon to the floor, we're not trying to oh, be too... Question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then just I just wanted to hear from them, like do you have any thoughts off the top of your head, like what can we start to do from a policy perspective, from a you know uh, activism perspective, from all different kinds of perspectives, to really start to bring this conversation to the fore, and then I'll, I'll come to you. Okay, um, it's a very loaded question. I know, right? <laughs> um, I'll look at the case of Uganda, where um, during the most recent elections, the twenty twenty one elections, um, we there was a clash between Facebook and the state. Um, it was an unfair clash because technically it should have been a clash between Facebook, the ruling party, and the opposition. Mm. But state parties pay the price. Mm. Um, so it almost appeared like um, the platform was favoring opposition actors even though they were equally guilty of spreading disinformation on the platform. Mm. But they came across as angels. Mm. And only state actors were guilty of um, posting disinformation. Um, but it resulted in a shutdown of Facebook, which remains lot today. today yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, but you know, people people learned how to use VPNs, people learned how to maneuver around um, the, the blockage, so I desperately tried to remain online. But that's not everybody. Okay, those are people without did, uh, various levels, those are people with limited digital savvy mm. who remained mm. offline. Um, they're relying on other people's phones, so they're entering the details into other people's phones and leaving it open. Mm. But anyway, um, some moved into Twitter to continue having a voice online. But at that point in time was also run about the Elon Musk uh, debacle where an entire community that they were also trying to reach out to were moving away right. elsewhere. But yeah. does that mean that if one community has moved away, the community that remains is not a worthwhile community? Mm -hmm. um, they may not have equal levels of power, but they need that information as well. Mm. Um, so that's another dynamic at play. Mm. Um, but it goes back to the power dynamics, who owns the platforms, what do those owners have access to, um, and what do the other players within that ecosystem have the power to do. But at this point in time, they've walked away. But they're coming back. Because <laughs> not everybody figured out Mastodon as they thought they would. Yeah. Uh, Mastodon numbers shut up, but trickled back down. Where people got no, those were virtual signaling all along, but they have come back. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed that this IGF, the interactions on Twitter have not been what they used to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So some are still holding out because they made a lot of noise when they moved out. Now they can't come back, <laughs> come back in. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit crazy. Right, right. But either way, there is a lot to try to unpack at a policy level. What are the power dynamics uh, uh, at uh, uh, 
at a platform level, mm. what kind of powers do they have to influence narratives online? Mm. Um, and how do communities online push back against mm. those? We, we are still at, at the tail end of it. I think that conversation is only just beginning. Mm. Um, right now, there's, there's whispers of talks between Facebook and the Ghanaian government on how to navigate that space. But either way, there was a very big power play and the shift of community um, into another space where they've struggled to find a voice because there's language issues, mm. there is limitations by number, mm. by, by character counts, there is cost implications. If you want to post more on Twitter, you have to pay yeah. a whole lot more. What does that mean for someone who was very active on Facebook, mm. had a community there, but really does not even have the card to buy the the account, the blue tick that allows them the grants access to to these to a potential audience in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are not discussions we're having at a policy level because they're rather tricky to have. Where do you even start? Mm-hmm. Um, do you come at it from the angle of disinformation? Do you come at it from the angle of content co- content moderation? Do you come at it from the angle of uh, the digital ecosystem in terms of the gig economy or? Um, Digital society, digital earning and income in online spaces, rather. What's what's happening there? So, uh, just one one strand of the conversation would be an entire uh, meeting, an entire paper. So, lots lots to unpack there. But I think we should be thinking about it at this point in time because very few are yeah. as we remain blocked out. What happens when both social, when both Facebook and Twitter are blocked? Yeah. There are other little communities online, but again, it's very dependent on, your, on the level of digital savvy that you have, which we're still tr- struggling to make sense of. Um, threats has come out, but even in that community, there's been a bit of tension in, do we go there, do we not? How does, what is it Twitter? Is it not? What, what is it? Yeah. Making sense of it. What threads <laughs> is already a mission for some to yeah. navigate, to understand? Um, even though it's being positioned as a new Twitter. Yeah. What, what does that actually mean? Who are you going to find in that space? Uh, actually, at that point, how many of us have a Threads account? Don't use it. <laughs> I don't use it. I see? just wanted to lock down the name. <laughs> <laughs> you see? Yeah. Um, so we're locking down names that mm. we're not using. Others mm. are being forced there, but not quite knowing what to do there. Yeah. Um, who are they, who, who, who is the community there? Mm. So mm. in an age of finding community, in an age of trying to navigate community, there's a grey area that we have yet to figure out at a policy level, at an individual level as well. Um, but I think it's still an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And you raise a really interesting point about, you know, if you're, if you're trying to build community, for instance, you need your Western audience sometimes to amplify your, your activism, but if they've all left and gone to <laughs> Mastodon, then you know who, who's going to sound the alarm, you know, in the places that you know you might need that alarm sounded. So, very interesting as well to have that dynamic. Take mm-hmm. your thoughts, and I'm coming to you just now. <laughs> so, um, I think um, um, Drew says something about, um, about those who have stayed, regardless of why they stayed they also matter. I think that's a very powerful thing to say, also to think about, um, specifically when we are trying to think about the future of social media and then how we can advocate for it. Um, and we have to see nuances, such as this that we just described now. 
we have to understand the geopolitical situation of our continent or other continents. We have to understand how people are relating to the internet from a social perspective, like why are people there? Um, and also to kind of pay attention to the digital divide that we have, because as we've said, some of us might not be very much tech savvy around other things, but what's up, what does it mean? Charlie also again mirrors the digital divide that we always um, speak about. Uh, again, thinking about uh, really, uh, I think this is also for the African South, so, so, so to start thinking about when we see, and I'm looking forward to see your projects flourishing, because I, I think it's, it's important to start picking up content that are produced in a very creative way and then amplifying them. So that, that kind of thing intersect between just the Africans who are there as opposed to the Africans who's producing something particular about the continent or that can get back to the bigger um, global sector. So that kind of thing can only come if we start amplifying it because many of us might not know. Like I was paying attention to, um, I'm very sorry that Gabon, Gabon is going through such a horrible time at the moment in the national spaces, but the president was saying immediately, he just said about like, for the global noise, noise, and then the Gabonian was like, all of them were doing TikTok videos and dancing. Oh, yes. and then, that was a very interesting political mm. humor, mm -hmm. and you know, using that. And I thought like, that's a production, because that's one way of protesting, mm. one way of making noise around, like, this was ridiculous. Mm. You were actually asking a colonizer or former colonizer countries to save you from your people. How ridiculous is that? Yeah. So, so making that kind of production has to be somehow amplified for us to start saying, like, no, we're not just there because we are also producers. Mm. That's why I'm, I'm looking mm. forward to your work also because we need to do that. Um, mm. And also I think um, we are stuck with this social justice work, which is very important in terms of, for example, movement building. We do have, um, I've done a research on that, many of Jews done a research on that, but we do talk about it from a human rights perspective, but we don't talk about it how much, like bring, bring back our girls in two weeks time, it have had more than three millions of, you know, retweets and stuff. That's traffic generation, that many. But we don't talk about it from that perspective. So I think if we want to shift the balance in order to get the policy advocacy properly, in order to get much more attention in terms of getting, you know, being respected and seen as a current consumer, we also have to start translating the knowledge production that we do on the online spaces as a product, mm. not just as, you know, political issues or whatever we come up with. So yeah, for me, that's very important from our perspective as an activist or as, you know, global South feminists or whoever is who you are in terms of advocating for the African digital space and social media future, we really need to think about this from a very different um, perspective. Yeah. Thank you. You have a question? No, we don't have the honesty. You can, you can. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I come from a 
background in cryptography and uh, applied uh, like emerging technologies. I have now entered this IGF space due to some concerns I've obviously seen in the last couple of years with regards to my own community, but also to regards to the way that African uh, technology, technologic so sovereignty is even being addressed by the global community. Um, and so I come from the space of the research and what I just wanted to flag and ask a couple more questions on um, is specifically African people have started to really come take advantage of uh, their sovereignty over resources and their sovereignty over uh, like uranium and we're watching as the French ambassador put in a conversation with him he said yeah well we got fired from Africa um, <laughs> and there's like this awareness that is around that um, but I, I just wanted to flag that in the work we've been doing, we are trying to raise consciousness around data as an asset class. Mm -hmm. And you guys talk about how to leverage um, and get these social media communities not to even just treat these individual countries as their little playing fields and their little transactional uh, communities. Um, it is one of the questions I would have is to flag, to put the premise is like, is Pan-Africanism and the ideas like Walter Rodney and Thomas Sankara and all those things, do we see a stage set where we start to see African communities come together as a collective and say like our data is our data, mm. our access to information is a prerequisite to our human rights, mm. and specifically with regards to, and I'm sure we all can imagine, Tigray is being rebuilt right now, mm. um, and they are attempting to rebuild it in the same centralized communications infrastructure that they had in the first place. Mm. which is where my firm is coming in and we're working with the regional governments to approach something different. Um, but it is something where I want to discuss like the actual sovereignty over infrastructure and sovereignty over data as an asset class mm -hmm. and how do African communities start to raise our entire consciousness on this. Yeah. I'll pass it Yeah. She has a question as well. Let's take her question. Okay, you can ask your question as well. Short. Thank you, um, first of all, to all three of you. Um, my first question is this um, idea of whether to stay in the platform um, and to leave, where to go. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that I, we, coming from South Asia, grapple with as well. My first question to you is that are there um, any examples from where you're coming from uh, that you can share where People who stay, for example, if you're staying on Twitter, YouTube, um, whatever, uh, Facebook, are there kind of collective movements from your experience to call these platforms to account for whatever that is, right? Um, from Africa, right? And again, like I, I, I don't want to say kind of Africa as you know, in general, but are there any examples where? these platforms actually listened, right? And I don't you know, mean to suggest that even if they listen, these are good faith actors. Sometimes they're just window dressing, but be that as it may, um, are there any examples? Number one. Number two um, is that we are you know, talking about uh, platform, platform regulation, policy movements, um, state actors, movements, uh, but in my kind of like time on the internet, right, mm. I don't use social media as much, but I spend time, you know, a lot of time on the internet. So there are, for examples, um, example from the fan, you know, fandom, yeah, for fandoms. example, right? 
uh, and I've seen, right, and these are, you can't really study them as like, you know, uh, a specific movement the way we study social justice yeah. movement, yeah. for example. But there are, in my kind of, again, time, time spent on the internet, there are a lot of these, even in Africa, right? Mm. And loosely organized, maybe around a specific celebrity or around a specific issue, but if you're kind of like entrepreneurial fa fandom, yeah. and I've seen, like they're uh, calling YouTube for a demonetization of hate speech, mm. right? And on specific cases, um, I've seen them to be effective, long-term probably not, uh, but there are these kind of, you know, generative movements which are very informal. So have you kind of, you know, had a chance to study them, look at them, experience? Okay. So, so we'll take that one question for now and then like, we'll, we'll answer and if we have more time then we'll take your second question. So. We also have two minutes, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I quickly want to respond to the Pan-Africanist question that was asked. I think it's a very important question. And, uh, but uh, I, I don't know if you were here. The, yesterday they have had a session on African Union and their data governance. And we were here and we were just shocked because it's um, Global North consultants and white, South, uh, white African people who were here in the room. And then you think, like, okay, who is communicating with who? And so the states are coming in at the end of the process, or state agents or local um, researchers, like we, we have so many, like Uganda should have CPSR. I mean, it doesn't make sense, like why? Why can't we have Kikinetis in Kenya? Why can't we have them here? Why can't we have been, why don't, I don't understand it, but anyway. And so I understood, okay, so you finish the drafting and then the state come in. Of course the state won't have a Pan-African perspective because everyone is, trying to save their power in the national space, no? So one country is supporting the other country basically because of power conversations. So even the Pan-Africans dream of having a, a digital space that is very much in the value of African people is really is attached to the power dynamics that is happening in the state level, which is a very much corrupted thing. So for us, I see the very fragmented work. I don't see it coming together because we have not done the work of becoming a state. And it's, but we will have a conversation. Do you have anything about data sovereignty? Or no. do you want to? Um, just adding to what Tigis has said is um, we are living in a society which is still very dominated by brand. I don't know how else to define it. Um, there is some information coming out of the continent, lots of research, but it is not cited. Mm. We instead mm. refer mm. a lot to yeah. to content coming from other parts of the world and the assumption that it gives it more gravitas, more authority mm. when the content is here, mm. uh, well, there. Mm. <laughs> um, and that adds to the skews that result in conversations or profiles or panels like we saw yesterday. Um, on the issue of uh, data sovereignty, there are discussions around it. There's, there's a lot going on. Um, however, it remains cute. I have no direct answer on that, but one thing I'll say is wherever you see opportunity to join in the conversation, to make contributions, by all means, jump in and jump in full, full swing. Um, otherwise, a lot of the conversation remains in very, in very select pockets of, of the field when it should be going further, when it should have a whole lot more contributions coming in from external voices. I've seen a couple of calls for contributions. 
Um, you can actually please, for those in the room, please do share your cards. I'd like to mm -hmm. be in touch and yes, to keep yes. these conversations going. Mm -hmm. um, and to share these opportunities which call for contributions from, from stakeholders so that we have other voices other than the tried and tested come in and showcase their work. I think that's where the magic lies. Um, and on the question about uh, collective actions in the platforms, you know, when we talk about Facebook and Twitter, the numbers we're referring to are not that big. Um, in Uganda, internet penetration is about like getting to 50% of that 50%, just a fraction are on a platform like Twitter, yet Twitter has an immense uh, power in the country. Um, and we're talking at numbers of what, less than 3 million users in the country. Um, so when we are looking at collective action from a country like Uganda at a platform as a result of decisions that it has taken, you know, those actions remain very small, very invisible, even within the community. But in this particular instance, when we saw um, efforts against, well, political positions being taken, people didn't even recognize what was going on. Perhaps us as activists uh, should have pushed more for it, but at the same time, you're caught up, you're thinly spread in so much that's happening, not only in Uganda, but in other parts of um, the continent as well. It's not an excuse. Perhaps we could do better, should do better in building community. But before that, we actually need to get people to understand what is happening, which we can see people generally do not understand is happening, yet it's affecting the work that they do. So numbers are small. That's not an excuse. We are still online. Okay. Um, we're still finding community there. We're still finding opportunity to push back and have positions of a civic engagement in those spaces. And it's in those spaces that we see states feeling very, very threatened. We're seeing people being arrested, yeah. all these regulations coming out. If you post this, we'll arrest you. Mm. If you post that, we'll arrest you too. We'll threaten you, we'll beat you up. <laughs> um, that's the reality of the landscape that we are living in. And it's a reality very removed from some of the conversations that we are having here. Mm. And it's going to go into the discussions around AI. The same narratives around social media will be used there. Um, the same threats and resistance will be applied to those technologies as well. Um, yeah, so, for time. <laughs> yeah, time is short, but um, I think we should continue this conversation. Um, it's very important. I think also just to pick on your question about fandoms, I think this is a bigger issue that we have within digital organizing, digital humanities and the whole sector that somehow we do not see spaces of social, collective sociality as areas of analysis or study or research. We tend to focus on data, we tend to focus on algorithms, AI, hard science, you know, data sets, give us data sets, let us generate graphs and statistics and demographics and profiles. But no one ever looks at the social aspects of technology, what people actually do when they are using the technology. So I think that's something that's very much um, you know, resonant with my own stance where I tend to feel like we don't think about the internet as the social tool. We don't think about the fact that it is just a vehicle for us to continue our so social sociality. So yeah, would be very would be very interested to continue to think and talk about how we can have more of that conversation. And I think um, we were meant to be joined by another panelist, Chennai. She didn't travel to to Japan, but she runs a platform, My Data, My Rights, and you might have some interest to just have a look as well at her platform, see what she's doing. She comes at it from a feminist perspective, but you know, there's always great so so please please do look at her platform she she's doing this work to try to get um, 
a conversation about what my data means or what our data means from a feminist perspective and how to have ownership of it. So there's many resources, many people um, to get in touch with. Um, I think we are short on time at this point in time. Uh, very short, but um, thank you so much for coming to this panel. I think it is the beginning of a conversation, a very important conversation, and we are all coming at it from different perspectives, but let's keep having this conversation about where we are as African users in this digital space. Thank you again. All right, that's a wrap. I hope you got something of interest from this conversation. A lot of food for thought from that. Um, and as always, as I said at the beginning, you can get in touch if you have any comments. Do send an email out to info at digitallynativepodcast.com or else send a tweet or a direct message to a, a, the Twitter account, which is at Native Podcast. Um, and I look forward to hearing what your thoughts are on this ongoing conversation and how you might see this conversation growing. All right. Do take care and have a good rest of your week.